join me in your Bibles in the book of Joshua, chapter 22. I don't think anyone can belt it out as much as William, but he has really been enjoying this last selection of songs, and so we are, we're grateful that he's been enjoying that. The title of this message this morning is An Altercation. Get it? Alter, A-L-T-A-R-cation. All right. And it's because there's going to be a bit of tension that arises in our passage this morning. Several of the tribes are prepared to go to war over an altar. And so as we begin to approach the text, let's go ahead and, and open with some prayer. Father, your word is truth. And we can rely on what it tells us. As, uh, as I think about the task of preaching this morning and the edification of your people, I'm reminded that I am not the first, nor will I be the last to proclaim your word on this day. Uh, Father, there's so many others who are preaching the word, and I'd like to lift up Christ Community Church as they bring the gospel to their people, that the word would be preached with power, with the Spirit guiding and Uh, lifting up the hearts of the people. Help us to be illuminated by your word. Help us to understand deeply. Father, I pray for us as well as we we look at this book of Joshua that's full of interesting and maybe obscure names that we're not as familiar with, that you would make it fresh for us in a new way, that we would delight to see your hand at work in this time period. Father, I pray also that We would take what we learned this morning and we would apply it to all of our lives, Father, because we know that your word is powerful, it's living, it's active, it cuts deep into the division of the soul and the spirit, and it is something that will guide us through our lives. And so, Father, we rely on that. Lord, be with me as I am iPadless this morning. It's a small thing, but definitely something that I... uh, I feel like I've amputated an arm. So, Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for paper and pens. And we, we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've ever had to return from a deployment or you watched all those deployment reunion videos, you know what it's like to get back from being gone for a long period of time. When I was at Fort Hood, they would do this whole rigmarole. And, and for us soldiers, it was exhausting because we were tired. We just got off of a long plane flight. But they would have us ride these buses out to the main parade field, and then we'd go and get off the buses on the other side, and our families would be gathered on the field on the opposite side. And then the families would start chanting, move that bus, move that bus, right? The buses would move, and then we'd all march forward into the field. And then it was like a a chaotic event where families were trying to find their loved ones, and all of us were dressed the same. So it was really hard to figure out who your loved one was, right? And so your family's like running through, trying to find, and they all got their banners and their balloons. And it's a time of rejoicing, of celebration. And most of us military folks, we're tired, we're stinky, we've been traveling, and we just want to get home, take a shower, and go to bed, right? And we see something similar happening in the book of Joshua. The two and a half tribes that belong on the other side of the Jordan, their, their inheritance was already achieved, they get to go home now. And so these two and a half tribes are finally going to be able to go back to their families. They're finally going to be able to look at their homesteads. They're going to be back with with who they belong with. But something comes up 
in the midst of this. And really the main theme, the main point of chapter 22 is that it follows chapter 21 in that God is faithful, right? So if you remember from 45 of chapter 21, it says, none of the good promises the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. Everything was fulfilled. God is faithful. That was the theme of the message from last week. And the main point then this week is because God is faithful, through Christ for us Christians, we are to be faithful to Christ. So the gift of this is rest. In the book of Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11, he makes this really powerful point about rest. Let me read it to you. In Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 11, it says this. Now we desire each of you to demonstrate the same diligence for the full assurance of your hope until the end, so that you won't become lazy, but will be imitators of those who inherit the promises through faith and perseverance. The main theme of this this passage in Joshua 22 is a, a reminder of how zealous the early people, uh, the early Israelites in the time in Israel, how zealous they were, how passionate they were. They were passionate to be faithful, and then they got this promised rest. He, he says in, in Hebrews to to be diligent to imitate the faithfulness of God's people, and then Joshua shows us what faithfulness should look like. And that's what we're going to see this morning. Now, I want to go really quickly and do an overview. So as we've read through Joshua, the first thing we notice is they enter the land, chapters 1 through 4. Second, they take the land, chapters 5 through 12. Then they possess the land, 13 through 21. So that's what we just finished. We finished all three of those sections over the last few years. And finally, today, they begin to retain the land, chapter 20. 2 through 24. And if you look at the book of Joshua, not as much as just a history, but actually a sermon, because it's a message. And we have now entered into what would be called the application of the message of Joshua. The people of God must and always be slaves to their God, the God who loves them, who cares for them. And this chapter continues that theme of faithfulness, a faithful, a good and faithful servant, a good and faithful slave. And so because God is faithful, we are obligated to be faithful to Him. And I think there's a direct application here from this passage to us today. And that direct, direct application is that God is faithful through Jesus Christ. He promised us, promised, excuse me, He promised us a redemption, and He then has given it to us through Christ. And because of that, because of our joy, we now are going to be faithful. We want to be faithful. You know, this is maybe a distinction that's hard for a lot of people to get. A lot of people think that Christianity is about rules and regulations, thou shalt and thou shalt not, right? But the reality is, because of what Christ has done, the gospel message we get to, It's not that we have to go to church or we should go to church. It's that we get to go to church. It's not that I have to be faithful. I have to follow rules. It's that I get to follow what the Lord has commanded. 
This is a great thing. This is the difference between the law and the gospel. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And so the first thing we see is that faithfulness is commendable. It's like a commendation. At the end of a deployment, you get your awards or your rewards. Uh, for some of us, it's just to be home and not have to, to be sleeping on the ground, right? And we get a reward, a, um, a ribbon. And, that was, and that's what we see here in 1 through 8. We get some commendations. So if you have your Bibles open to Joshua 22, verse 1 begins this way. Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And you remember them from earlier in Joshua. They were the ones that found the land pleasing before crossing the Jordan. And so they remained there. They wanted to stay on that side of the river. But Moses said, you better cross over with the family and take the land, and then you may go back once the land is given. And so this is what we see. Verse 2, and told them, you have done everything Moses, the Lord's servant, commanded you and have obeyed me in everything I commanded you. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have not deserted your brothers even once this whole time, but have carried out the requirement of the command of the Lord your God. Now that he has given your brothers rest, just as he promised them, return to your homes in your own land that Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you across the Jordan. And this is always very fascinating, this addendum that Joshua puts on here. Only carefully obey the command and instruction that Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you. And this is the instruction. Listen to this, guys. To love the Lord your God. That's the first command. Love your God. Could you imagine my wife coming home one day and saying, I demand that you love me. Okay. Love the Lord your God. Second, walk in all his ways. Keep his commands. Be loyal to him and serve him with all your heart and all your soul. Joshua blessed them, sent them on their way, and they went to their homes. Moses had given territory to the half-tribe of Manasseh in Bashan, but Joshua had given territory to the other half with their brothers on the west side of the Jordan. When Joshua sent them to their homes and blessed them, he said, Return to your homes with great wealth, a huge number of cattle, and silver, gold, bronze, iron, and a large quantity of clothing. Share the spoils of your enemies with your brothers. So Joshua, he commends them, but he also warns them. He says, in your good work that you have done, great job, you were faithful, but watch out. Right? So we have this warning. And the two and a half tribes, they're released from their deployment. They are free from their duties on that side of the Jordan. But he says, watch out. And as we look at each one of these, I think it's important that we write down these five directives. That first one, love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God. I think in our culture today, we're, we're so infatuated with emotions. I was reading somewhere that emotions were not really invented until somewhere around um, the early 14, 1500s when the Scottish were trying to talk about a motion of the heart. And they came up with this word emotions. Right, we've always had feelings, but this word of love, this 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 word to love someone is more than just an emotional ushy gushy feeling of unicorns and rainbows. Right? No, this is a duty. 
It is a responsibility. Love is a verb, as we see in the New Testament. And so this word for love means to do what your God likes. If I want to love my wife, the way that I do that is to do the things that I know she wants me to do, right? I have to help her in areas that I think would make her happy. I have to please her. So we as as believers recognize that to love the Lord our God means to do what makes him happy, what pleases him, to do what is good. Second, walk in all his ways. Man, this is so important for the early Israelites because the Lord had given them laws and regulations on how to order their lives. Everything from the civil to the ceremonial to the moral, God had given them instructions for them to obey. And then he says, keep his commands. These commands are what keeps them in the land. Because if they abandon the commands of the Lord, what did he say would happen? He said, I'm going to hand you over to your enemies because you've abandoned me. And four, be loyal to him. This is something we see in the life of, of Israel that is, is really heartbreaking. It's how unloyal, what would be the opposite of unloyal? Illoyal? Non-loyal? Right? Unloyal? How unloyal they were to God. Because he brought them out of Egypt. He brought them through the wilderness. He gave them the promised land. And they begin to worship other gods. What a slap in the face. But he says, be loyal to him. And finally, serve him. Serve him. Serve God, not others. Serve God. And then finally, he, he kind of tells us in verse 5, the how. In what way do I do this? So with my children, we have a saying, obedience is all the way, right away, in a happy way. right? Because any three of those things that they miss, they're not being obedient. Right, so if they're if they don't if they say okay yes yes mom yes dad and they're all happy but they don't do it that's not obedience. If they say okay sure I'll do it later and they're happy about it that's not obedience. But if they say okay yep they jump up they go and they go but they're going like this. All right, that's that's disobedience. They're not happy. And so the Lord also would like us to do these things in this way. At the very end of verse five, it says this: make. Make sure you're checking me with your own copy of God's Word. Do not just take for granted what I'm saying, but look in the Word and make sure that what I'm saying aligns with it. Verse 5, at the very end, it says, With all your heart and all your soul, with your whole person, serve the Lord. With your whole body, love Him. With your whole energies, walk in His ways. With, your, with everything that's within you, keep His commands. From your full heart, be loyal to Him. And finally, serve Him. I think we as modern day Christians, we neglect these. And it all starts with love. Love is what motivates everything else. Because I love my wife, I take the trash out without grumbling because I get to serve her. That is my opportunity. Right? And that's the same thing for us. We get to serve our Lord. It's a, a blessing and a privilege. And so I'm going to ask you, how are you doing in this? How are you loving the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul? How are you walking in all of His ways with all of your heart and all of your soul? How are you keeping His commands with all of your heart and all of your soul? How are you being loyal to Him with all of your heart and all of your soul? How are you serving Him with all of your heart 
and all of your soul. I'm going to be honest with you. I fell into the trap of the grumbling Israelites yesterday. My iPad did not turn on. And I woke up in the morning and said, oh no, what am I going to do? And that whole day was me wrestling with my heart because I know that God is good. I know that He is great. I know He's sovereign even over Apple and electricity. I know He is in control of all things. But at the same time, there was a level of grumbliness in my own heart. And I had to confess. And I had to repent. And I had to spend some time alone crying about how filthy my wicked heart is that I am attached to something like a little electronic device. And we also make, need to do that to your own hearts. And we see that this passion for faithfulness will lead to conflict. And what, this is what we're going to see in this passage. Faithfulness can be challenged. Verses 9-20 through 20 describe a level of tension that is going to really bubble up in the tribe of Israel. Look at verse 9 with me. It says, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh left the Israelites at Shiloh in the land of Canaan to return to their own land of Gilead, which they took possession of according to the Lord's command through Moses. When they came to the region of the Jordan in the land of Canaan, the Reubenites, Gadites, and half-tribe of Manasseh, now listen to how he describes this. They built a large, impressive altar there by the Jordan. Then the Israelites heard it and heard it said, look, the Reubenites, Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan at the region of the Jordan on the Israelite side. When the Israelites heard this, the entire Israelite community assembled at Shiloh to go to war against them. That's some tension right there. They built this altar. So what's an altar used for? To make sacrifices. And they know that other tribes have made altars, other, other non-Israelite people have made altars and sacrificed on them. And they have a long history of building these altars. And these altars can be either be a good thing or a bad thing. We also know that the Israelites are commanded to only worship at the tabernacle, to only sacrifice to their God at the tabernacle. So if they build an altar, what does that seem to indicate? that they're going to be unfaithful. And so the people of Israel, in their zealous desire to be faithful, recognize that it's time to go to war again. And so they arm up. And the description is that it was an impressive altar. These two and a half tribes didn't skimp on the details. They made a big, impressive altar. And so the other tribes gather together in verse 12. And then 13 we have this really interesting passage. I'm, I'm a, I geeked out a little bit on this passage. And because my iPad died, a lot of my information is not with us today. So let's just praise the Lord that I am not going to kill you with details. The Israelites sent Phineas. Keep that man's name in your mind as we move. Son of Eleazar the priest to the Reubenites, Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead. They sent ten leaders with them, one family leader for each tribe of Israel. All of them were heads of their ancestral families among the clans of Israel. They went to the Reubenites, Gadites, and half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead and told them, This is what the Lord's entire community says. 
What is this treachery you have committed today against the God of Israel by turning away from the Lord and building an altar for yourselves so that you are in rebellion against the Lord today? So the other Israelite tribes see this as treachery. There is rebellion in the land. 17, wasn't the iniquity of Peor which brought a plague on the Lord's community enough for us? Wasn't it enough that we died of a plague? We have not cleansed ourselves from it even to this day. COVID still is lingering. And now, would you turn away from the Lord? If you rebel against the Lord today, tomorrow we will be angry with the entire, he will be angry with the entire community of Israel. But if the land you possess is defiled, cross over to the land the Lord possesses, where the Lord's tabernacle stands, and take possession of it among us. But don't rebel against the Lord or against us by building for yourselves an altar other than the altar of the Lord our God. And then he brings in history again. Wasn't Achan, son of Zerah, unfaithful regarding what was set apart for destruction, bringing wrath on the entire community of Israel? He was not the only one who perished because of this of his iniquity. There's this fight that has been brewing. The Israelite tribes on one end say that you two, you two and a half tribes on the other side, you've done something unfaithful. You have built this altar to worship. If it's not enough for you, come back over and live among us. They say you don't have to live over there and, and sacrifice to false gods because what's going to happen is if we are unfaithful to God, he is going to write Ichabod on our foreheads and he is going to destroy us. Right? And there's these allusions to history in this passage. We have Peor and we have Achan mentioned here. The reason I want to bring up Peor is because of this guy named Phineas. The, the ten tribes... They, got, they, they elected this man, Phineas to go and talk to this two and a half tribes. This is no mere weird named man that they brought. Phineas is a warrior priest. He is known to be faithful and zealous to the Lord. He is known to do the right thing when it was hard and difficult. And that's what we're going to see. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Numbers. Numbers 25, and we're going to look at this man, Phineas, because I think he's kind of a keynote in our passage. Numbers 25, 1 through 13, tells us a story of how the Israelites were unfaithful to their God. It says, while Israel was staying in the Acacia Grove, the people began to prostitute themselves with women of Moab. If you know anything about the Moabites, they come from Lot and his daughter's incestuous relationship. It's so fascinating to me. An atheist loves to bring up that Lot slept with his daughters. They like to bring this up as a, an argument against the Bible's faithfulness or the Bible's purity. And I always laugh because the Moabites are one of the main enemies of the people of Israel. So unfaithfulness begets more unfaithfulness. Anyways, verse 2. The women invited them to sacrifice for their gods, and the people ate and bowed in worship to their gods. 
they were seduced by the women of Moab. So Israel aligned himself with Baal of Peor. Remember that from our psalm this morning. And the Lord's anger burned against Israel. The Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and execute them in broad daylight before the Lord so that his burning anger may turn away from Israel. So Moses told Israel's judges, Kill each of the men who aligned with themselves with Baal of Peor. An Israelite man came bringing a Midianite woman to his relatives in the sight of Moses and the whole Israelite community. Sabine, can you turn my volume down just a hair, please? Thank you. I don't know why I'm so loud all of a sudden. While they were weeping at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So everyone came to church and they began to cry over the unfaithfulness of the people of Israel. And this guy brings his girlfriend walking down the middle of the aisle, going across the way to have a special time with her. They were weeping at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Verse 7, when Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, saw this, this is what he did. He got up from the assembly. He took a spear or a javelin in his hand. He followed the Israelite man into the tent and drove it through both the Israelite man and the woman through her belly. Then the plague on the Israelites was stopped as the great theological rapper says, he stabbed him in the abdomen with a javelin. He killed them. He removed them from the assembly. So this Phineas, this man, is now going to meet with you about your unfaithfulness. I don't know about you, but I'd be a little worried that hothead Phineas with a spear is coming to see me. Because he did not say, hey, what are you guys doing in here? No, he came in. For violence. He chose violence that day. And so we see this champion, Phineas, the warrior priest, zealous for the Lord. He has been chosen to come and deal with this thing that's happening. But there's something else about Phineas. Because of his faithfulness, we see something else. Verse 9 But those who died in the plague, numbered 24,000. Verse 10, the Lord spoke to Moses, Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the Israelites because he was zealous among them with my zeal so that I did not destroy the Israelites in my zeal. Verse 12, this is so fascinating. This is where I got derailed in my sermon study. It says this, Therefore, declare, I grant him my covenant of peace. It will be a covenant of perpetual priesthood for him and his future descendants because he was zealous for God, for his God and made atonement for the Israelites. This covenant of peace stretches throughout the entire Old Testament. I got so distracted because I was looking up everything about the covenant of peace. Let me tell you a few other places. Ezekiel 34, 25 talks about this covenant of peace. Oh, that's Isaiah. We're, we'll get to you. Ezekiel 34. But I'm not going to read 34. I want to read 37, 26. Ezekiel 37, uh, 37, 26 is just done talking about the valley of dry bones. 
It's just talking about this new covenant that God is going to cut through Jesus Christ. Verse 25 says, They will live in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, where your ancestors lived. They will live in it forever with their children and grandchildren, and my servant David will be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be a permanent covenant with them. I will establish and multiply them and will set my sanctuary among them forever. What does that sound like? Sounds like the new covenant to me. Malachi 2.5 also has this covenant of peace. But Isaiah 54.10 has this covenant of peace. And I want to look at that one. Because this is talking about Christ, the suffering servant. Verse 10, it says, Though the mountains move and the hills shake, my love will not be removed from you, and my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says your compassionate Lord. The love of the Lord is with this covenant of peace. Ultimately, this covenant of peace is, is consummated in Jesus, who makes peace. It really helps me understand the saying that not all who are Israel or who are of Israel are Israel. This covenant of peace is for people within the people of Israel. It's a special covenant. If you looked at 106, if you were very careful in listening to Gary as he spoke about it, what did it say that happened to Phineas? Let's turn there because it's so exciting. I just spent all this time like the lighting in this, and we're going to just do it together. So Psalm 106. And the good news is I don't have my iPad, so I have no idea how long I'm going. So buckle up. So when he began to talk about uh, uh, Baal of Peor in verse 28 of chapter 106 of Psalm, they aligned themselves with Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices offered to lifeless God. They angered the Lord with their deeds. A plague broke out against them. And then verse 30, but Phineas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stopped. Verse 31 is so fascinating. It was credited to him as righteousness throughout all generations to come. Where did you hear that language before? Abraham. It is by faith you are saved. Faith is credited to him as righteousness. Okay. So if you are an Israelite and you're on the side of the Jordan and the armies of Israel are marching towards you and Phineas with his blood-tipped spear has entered into the front, you're going to be a little nervous. You're going to say, oh, snap, what did we do now? Okay, they're coming. You would also recognize Phineas from Numbers 31 because he went to war again against the Midianites. So this warrior priest is coming for you. And so we see this transition where the tribes begin to respond. So go back to Joshua 22 if you're still there, hopefully. I'm jumping all back to numbers. But Joshua, Joshua 22. We see the response from these tribes. And, and what I would say is that faithfulness can look different. Verse 21 through 29 is our section. Verse 21, 
It says, the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh answered the heads of the Israelite clans. And this is how they answered. It's just, it's beautiful, their response. The mighty one, God, the Lord, the mighty one, God, the Lord, he knows. And may Israel also know, do not spare us today if it was in rebellion or treachery against the Lord that we have built for ourselves an altar to turn away from him. May the Lord himself hold us accountable if we intend to offer burnt offerings and grain offerings on it or to sacrifice fellowship offerings on it. We actually did this from a specific concern that in the future your descendants may say to our descendants, what relationship do you have with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between us and you descendants of Reuben and Gad. You have no share in the Lord. So your descendants may cause our descendants to stop fearing the Lord. Therefore, we said, Let it, let's take action and build, build an altar for ourselves, but not for burnt offerings or sacrifice. Instead, it is to be a witness between us and you and between the generations after us so that we may carry out the worship of the Lord in his presence with our burnt offerings, sacrifices, and fellowship offerings. Then in the future, your descendants will not be able to say to our descendants, you have no share in the Lord. We thought that if they said this to us, to our generations in the future, we would reply, look at the replica of the Lord's altar that our ancestors made, not for burnt offerings or sacrifice, but as a witness between us and you. We would never, ever rebel against the Lord or turn away from him today by building an altar for burnt offering, grain offering, or sacrifice other than the altar of the Lord our God, which is in front of his tabernacle. These two and a half tribes, they, they're trying to get them to understand. They said, listen, this is not a sacrifice altar. This is, a, this is an altar of remembrance. This is to help you remember and your children remember that our children belong to the covenant of the God of our God. They said, we're not building this to turn away from God, but to, to, to solidify what we actually believe. They don't want their descendants to depart from the faith. And this faithfulness requires a witness. And this witness in verse 24 really brings it out. They said it's, it's for the specific reason. We actually did this from a specific concern that in the future your descendants may, might say to our descendants, right? It's a, it's a way, it's a, it's a form of a contract. It's a way to show all the tribes are unified. So they wanted to be faithful. And in their faithfulness, they built this altar. They did not want their children to depart. And so as the transition happens, we see that their reasoning satisfies the other tribes of Israel. 30 through 34 is how they are satisfied. Go ahead and turn to 30. When the priest Phineas and the community leaders, the heads of Israel's clans who were with them, heard what the descendants of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh had to say, they were pleased. They said, okay, we see what you're doing here. Phineas, son of Eleazar, the priest, said to the descendants of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, Today we know that the Lord is among us, because you have not committed this treachery against him. As a result, you have rescued the Israelites from the Lord's power. Then the priest Phineas, son of Eleazar, and the leaders returned from the Reubenites and the Gadites in the land of Gilead, 
to the Israelites in the land of Canaan and brought back a report to them. The Israelites were pleased with the report, and they blessed God. They spoke no more about going to war against them to ravage the land where the Reubenites and Gadites lived. So the Reubenites and Gadites named the altar. It is a witness between us that the Lord is God. So this faithfulness on both ends satisfies. So we see that the concern has been satisfied. The concern of the ten tribes of Israel was that these two and a half tribes were departing the faith. They knew that they were doing something. They weren't sure what it was. They were ready to fight because they wanted to be faithful to God. That two and a half tribes, they built this altar for the purpose of being faithful to God. Both tribes, groups of tribes, wanted to do that. And, of course, the, the heads of the community, they hear the report, and they're pleased. And their happiness, they're happy with the passionate faithfulness that the two and a half tribes were exhibiting. And then Phineas, he gives us a, a, a short speech. And I think we should really look at this very briefly. Because this short speech gives glory to God. Verse 31, Phineas, son of Eleazar the priest, said to the descendants of, of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, Listen to how he words this. This is so fast, fascinating. It says, Today we know that the Lord is among us. The Lord is with both groups. Why do we know that? Because you have not committed this treachery against them. Because you did not fail to be faithful, I know that the Lord is with us. He is keeping you. He's making you faithful as he's making us faithful. As a result, you have rescued the Israelites from the Lord's power. No war had to happen because both sides were faithful. No conflict had to continue because both sides were faithful. The Lord preserved. So faithfulness is important, not only here or how, but also the motivation behind it. For Christians, we know that God is faithful through Christ. So we are to be faithful to Christ. Because God is faithful, we can be faithful. And the benefit, of course, is rest, just as that Hebrews passage reminds us. And not only that, friends, but our faithfulness will announce to the world that Jesus is worthy of every drop of our devotion. Jesus is worthy of every effort that we put into it. It's, a, it's an announcement to the world. If you are in a conflict and you are faithful to the Lord, even though the results are not as you would like, you are announcing something. Instead of compromising your faith, you're continuing in the faith, you're announcing that Christ is worthy. He is worthy. So my question to you this week is, will you be faithful? Or will you compromise? Maybe a small compromise here. Maybe a little grumble here. A little grumble there. Will you be like the Israelites in the wilderness, grumbling against a holy and perfect God? Or will you be faithful? Let's close in prayer. Father, we know that we can only be faithful by your own powerful hand. We know that you are sovereign over the universe, that you are king and you are Lord, that you are the prophet, priest, and king. Father, as we look at Phineas, I can't help but see echoes of Christ. 
that Christ smashed the head of the serpent, that he flipped the tables in the temple, that he was zealous for your glory, that he was zealous to be faithful. Because of his active obedience, we can, we can rest in the assurance that you have forgiven us of our unfaithfulness. Lord, there's not one person in this room that has not been unfaithful. Every single one of us have fallen short of giving you all the glory. And Father, we know that it's only by your mercy that we are preserved. And so, Father, I pray that you preserve us, that you guide us, that you lead us by your holy and perfect word. And we ask that you would keep us in your will this week. And we ask these things in, in the beautiful name of Christ and by the power of the Spirit. Amen.